Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here Welcome we in, everybody. Episode yeah. four oh nine of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday. July 19th, 2021, people. I hope everybody had a great last week and a half since the last episode of the Aaron Torres podcast. I did get a little bit of a getaway, a little bit of a vacation. I know many of you were working hard. I don't want to rub it in anybody's face. I know how hard all of you out there work, but it was great to get away. It is also, I should mention, great to be back because it felt like a lot of stuff that we were kind of in a hole. Like, like it just felt like last week was a great week to be away. We were on Kofi Coburn watch. We were on Marcus Carr watch. We were getting ready for SEC Media Days, and now they're all here. And that is what we have for you today, which is a loaded return episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I will open with the two major stories in college hoops, Kofi Coburn returning to Illinois. I'm going to get into that, what it means for Illinois, what happened with Kentucky. Yes, I was one of the people that pushed the Kentucky narrative early, but as it turns out, I just don't think Kentucky had as much interest in Kofi Coburn as anybody, including Kofi Coburn, expected. We'll talk a little bit about Marcus Carr, his decision to go to Texas. Where do I now have Texas going into next season? Because I think this is a loaded team. And then we'll transition to college football because it is getting to be that time. Listen, we're never going to abandon college hoops on this show, but anybody who's listened to this show knows I love my college football. And as I've told you many times, I'm the host on Fox Sports Radio every Saturday night, 11 p.m. Eastern time during college football season. So I love college football. I'm watching these games all day. And today, Monday, is the start of SEC Media Days. And so what we'll do, we'll open with Kofi Coburn and Marcus Carr. And from there, we will transition into SEC Media Days. I will tell you the 10 you know biggest topics that you may have forgotten from last year, A&M, Bama, LSU, Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, on and on and on. And then we will get to the 10 biggest storylines going into the SEC season. Is this finally Georgia's year? Does Bama finally take a step back? What about LSU? What about Auburn? What about uh, you know Florida? What about Kentucky's passing game? Are they finally going to throw the ball downfield this year? So fun episode as we go from college football early, college, college basketball early, college football in the middle. And then I'll mention this. Great interview. To wrap the show was Coastal Carolina coach Jamie Chadwell. Coastal Carolina, of course, last year 
in college football. If you remember, Coastal Carolina went 11-0 in the regular season. They were one of the great stories in college football. They played that incredible game against BYU. And Jamie Chadwell and I talk about it all. We talk about what it was like last season, how good it feels to get back to normal this year. I think it's a great way to take you behind the scenes of how crazy college football was last year, how crazy things were with the protocols and all that stuff, but how normal it is starting to feel heading into the 2021 season. And again, we talk about that crazy BYU game that came together on basically two days notice and turned into one of the games. So Jamie, one of the games of the year, Jamie Chadwell coming up later in the show. But I'm back and enough about me. Let's get to the single biggest topic really over the last couple weeks because uh, it's been July you don't think of as a traditionally busy month in college hoops. But because of a weird calendar, it turned into it this year. July 1st was the last day that players, if they were interested in using a one-time transfer, they had to be in the portal by end of day July 1st. Anyone who wanted to withdraw from the NBA draft and play college basketball next year had to be withdrawn from July 7th. And so those two dates are important because of this reason. Illinois All-American Kofi Coburn on July 1st shocks the college basketball world by saying, you know what? I am still testing the NBA draft waters, but I am going to put my name in the transfer portal. If I return to college basketball, I want to see what my options are out there. July 1st comes. His name is in the portal. It's huge news. July 5th, 6th, 7th, whatever it is, he officially withdraws. And really over the last seven or eight days leading up into Friday was Kofi Watch, right? Kofi Watch. Where is he going to go? Where is he going to end up? Is he going to return to Illinois? Is he going to transfer? And on Friday, the 16th of July, we got our answer on what a second team All-American is going to do. And that is Kofi Coburn has decided that he will, in fact, return to Illinois for his junior season. Listen, I'll be honest. I think this is great news for Illinois, great news for the Big Ten, great news for college basketball, and I'll be real. If you listen to me talk about the initial transfer on July 1, I think this is a great, smart, right decision for Kofi Coburn. So let's get into it, and obviously, look, it goes without saying, if you're listening to this, you know how good of a player Kofi Coburn is, 18 points, 9.5 rebounds per game last year, second team All-American, first team All-Big Ten, just an absolute force down low. I looked it up, I forget the stat, but I think it was like 13 out of 14 games at one stretch in the season, he he had a double-double, and when you add him in with what Illinois has coming back, all of a sudden Illinois is a really, really, really interesting team. Uh, Illinois brings back Andre Curbelo, Probably, I would argue, one of the two or three best point guards, maybe potentially in college basketball last year. They did lose Io DeSumo, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast. Uh, they lose Io DeSumo, but in Io DeSumo's place, whether it was when he missed games with injury or when he was on the bench, Andre Curbelo proved to be a player that can thrive in the Big Ten. So he is back at point guard. You had two other players use an extra year of eligibility. Trent Frazier, who averaged 10 points per game, 36% three-point shooting. DeMonte Williams, kind of a big wing. But the one thing Illinois was missing, and the one thing there was clearly nothing, no way that they could replace this late in the process, was a big, monstrous center down low. Uh, Kofi Coburn decides to come back and all of a sudden that whole problem was solved I know that Illinois did sign a player out of the portal named Omar Payne which would have taken up some of Kofi's production but you can't replace 18 and nine and a half in the middle of July so he comes back and I'll tell you this all of a sudden Illinois is a 
fascinating team heading into 2021-2022. You know, I saw John Rothstein uh, had him as high as number eight. I don't know that I have him quite that high, but when you talk about the returnees, you talk about some of the newcomers. I didn't even mention, by the way, they got one of the best three-point shooters in America, Alfonso Plummer out of the portal who played at Utah last year. This is a really, really good team. I thought they were an NCAA tournament caliber team without Kofi coming back, and no one assumed Kofi was coming back at all. But uh, when you add Kofi Coburn to the mix, listen, I don't know if they're top 10. Like I said, Rothstein, my buddy, has them at number eight. I I would probably have them in that 12 to 15 range, a team that I don't quite know that they're going to get to a one or a two seed. But listen, man, if if the stars align and everything shakes out the way that it possibly could, we could be talking about them as a two two seed, a three seed, uh, a a Big Ten champ. They obviously finished second in the regular season. Could I see the scenario where they win the Big Ten championship next year? Absolutely. Now, I do have Purdue and Michigan ranked ahead of them, but that doesn't mean that Illinois is that far behind. But Kofi Coburn's impact on that program is that big. By the way, you know who else I give credit to? I give credit to Kofi Coburn because I truly believe and I truly, I, I can say from pretty strong authority, when Kofi Coburn entered the transfer portal on July 1st, I do not believe that his intention was to return to Illinois. We at least know that he was seriously considering leaving because he said it in an interview with Jonathan Gavoni. Like, yeah, he's like, I'm looking at all my options. The coach that recruited me is at Kentucky. I would love to at least consider Kentucky, but I am going to pursue all my other options. And I think what happened was Kofi kind of realized, wait a second now, I got it pretty good at Illinois. Now, look, if there's a place that I can go and I can be the missing piece and we can compete for a national championship and we're the number one team in the country, I should do it. But if not, I'm not going to go somewhere else just for the sake of going somewhere else. And I think he looked around at Illinois. He said, wait a second. Why am I going to go chase a place that I don't know? I don't know the coaching staff. I don't know the other players. I don't know if they even want me when right here I have a coaching staff that knows me, a coaching staff that knows how to use me. They know my strengths. They know my weaknesses. They know, uh, you know, my point guard knows me. This guy knows me. I used to live in the dorm with that guy. This guy and I used to go out for pizza after the game. Like I, I think he realized that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I give him credit for making the mature decision we might not like as a society or as fans or as media or as coaches we might not like that players have options but I think Kofi Coburn used his options perfectly in this situation he said you know what if I am going to come back to college basketball let me just see what's out there let me see if there really is a better place that is going to better develop me for the NBA and put me in a better position to win a national championship and there really wasn't, which kind of brings me to the last point that I want to make, which is this recruitment was fascinating from the perspective that when Kofi entered the portal on July 1st, I think we all assumed like, oh my God, this is going to be like the recruitment of the set. Like this is going to be like, you know, Bill Self and John Calipari and, and you know, John Wooden's going to come out of the grave. Like, like we thought this was going to be huge and I don't think it ever really got to that point. Look, it all obviously starts with Kentucky, and, and, and I'll be honest, a lot of the Kentucky hype, some of the Kentucky hype at least, came from a couple tweets that I sent myself. Uh, now, there were others. Jeff Goodman sent out some stuff. Travis Graff, who's a great uh, recruiting writer, I believe, had some pretty good information on it. But, like, I did put out there, like, you know, everyone I'm talking to believes that if Kofi comes back to college, it is going to be at Kentucky. But I even made it clear at the time. Like, that is not from Kofi's camp. That is not from Kentucky's camp. That's just like buzz in college basketball. That The, the, the equation, the, the, what I equated it to was essentially that the people I talked to, it was almost like a defeatist attitude. Like, yeah, we'll give him a call. But come on, if he comes back to college basketball, he's going to play for Orlando, Antigua, and Calipari, Kentucky. And so 
when the when the when he first entered the portal, I like like I know for a fact he was interested in Kentucky because he said it himself. But I think what ended up happening was Kentucky looked at the situation a lot like Kofi looked at the situation a lot like we all looked at the situation. Kentucky was like, Kofi's really good. Like he is an All American and he is going to be awesome and he can do uh, a lot of different things. But is it going to help our locker room to bring him in? Not that he's a bad kid. Again, to be clear, it's not that he's a bad kid or a bad person or he's this or he's that. But our roster at Kentucky is pretty much set. We have six scholarship players down low in the front court, including a kid named Oscar Shibway, who is basically exactly like Kofi Cobra. Big, physical, low-post presence, and it just doesn't make sense for us to recruit him. And so what was interesting was, while there was early buzz in college basketball circles, some of which I probably uh, you know, had a little bit to do with, but also Kofi had to do with, because Kofi said in an interview with Jonathan Gavoni that he would consider Kentucky, that, that, that buzz and interest, I think, fizzled out pretty quick. I, I saw while I was gone, um, reporter that covers Kentucky, I believe his name's Chris Fisher, kind of said, like, look, uh, they may have been in communication, but it never got to the point where John Calipari got on the phone and made the pitch and said, come here, you're the missing piece. And so when you look at the Kentucky element and really the other element of everybody else, I don't think this recruitment got as crazy as it was because of the timing and because of the player. Kofi's a, a incredibly gifted player, but he's six foot ten. Uh, you know, you either have that guy on your roster or you don't. And some teams don't even play with that kind of guy, right? Like Arkansas doesn't want to play with that guy. Arkansas wants everybody to be between six four and six seven and super switchable. You know, maybe not six seven, but six nine, six ten, super switchable, can play all five positions, all that stuff. On the flip side, the teams that need that kind of guy basically had him. Kentucky has Oscar Shibway. Kansas has a kid named David McCormick. Uh, UCLA has Cody Riley and Miles Johnson. And so when you when you really broke down the recruitment, there just weren't a ton of great options and great places where a guy even as good as Kofi would have been the missing piece. So ultimately, I give him a ton of credit. I give uh, you know the schools a ton of credit. Listen, I give Kentucky credit. They could have brought him in. He was clearly interested. They had the ties. But Kentucky said, look, we have to show respect to the other 9, 10, 11, 12 guys in this locker room and say, hey, we brought you here because we thought you were good enough, and now it's time for you to prove it. We are not even going to call that guy because we believe that you guys are enough for us to win at the highest level. So really interesting recruitment, really fascinating. And let me just say this. It's great for Illinois, as I mentioned. Great for college basketball to have a guy that people know. I think it's just awesome that over the last three or four days, we've gotten so many great college, uh, you know, maybe not three or four days, but week, we've gotten so many great players back in college basketball. Hunter Dickinson at Michigan, uh, Johnny Juzang at UCLA, all of those guys, part of it maybe with the name image likeness, but going to be a really fun year. Illinois, as I said, probably in my opinion, about the 12th to 15th best team in the country, but they get their All-American center back. Credit to them for not giving up. And really, honestly, and I want to make this clear, Credit to Kofi Cobra in this era of chasing cloud and chasing this and chasing that. And what about that? He realized the best possible option for him was to return to Champaign. And now I'm excited to see him in an Illini uniform next year. Of course, Kofi Coburn, not the only major transfer portal news over the course of this weekend, as that's right. It is officially, we are in the back half of July 
And we still have transfer portal news. Kofi Coburn on Friday decides to return to Illinois. Also worth noting, by the way, Kevin O'Banner, really talented player from Oral Roberts. He, in fact, uh, committed to Texas Tech over the course of the weekend. And then we get to Saturday. We get to Saturday. We're basically the last major player in the transfer portal. You could say Jaden Shackelford from Alabama. But the last major marquee player in the transfer portal made his decision, and it is Marcus Carr. And he did what I told you. Kofi Coburn, a week ago, I said Kentucky could be a factor, didn't end up being the case, but Marcus Carr, when he decided to come to college basketball, when he entered the portal, it got down to four schools, Louisville, Texas, Kansas, Kentucky. I told you, I said, I don't think Kansas is in the equation. I don't think Kentucky is in the equation. Ultimately, I think he ends up at Texas, and on Saturday, it becomes official as Marcus Carr, all Big Ten point guard, played the last three seasons at Minnesota, is headed to Texas. And with his commitment, with the decision of Marcus Carr to go to Texas, I am just telling you this. Texas is a definitive, you cannot argue this, top five to seven team in the country. I think you can argue maybe top two, three in the country, and they are a legitimate national championship contender. Now look, I've spent a ton of time this offseason talking about Chris Beard in Texas. I don't want to beat a, a dead horse with everything that I've already talked about, but let me reiterate the most important point that you need to know about Chris Beard in Texas. Chris Beard at Texas Tech in year two went to an Elite Eight. In year three, went to a Final Four, played for a national championship against Virginia. If they get one stop on the final offensive possession against Virginia, they are national champions at Texas Tech with Chris Beard in 2019. Why is that important? It is important because if Chris Beard is going to leave Texas Tech for another job, leave Texas Tech, a school that he had one defensive stop away from winning a national championship, he had to go to a school where he knew that he believed at least that he could turn that program into a national championship contender every single season. Not I got to catch the right breaks, not if I can get this five-star, not if I, I can win a national championship every year. And so when Chris Beard took the Texas job, what that signaled to me and what I have said all offseason long, I said Chris Beard believes he is going to build Texas into the next superpower in college basketball. And I'll just say this. We only have a three-month sample size, but that is basically what he's done. I know I've talked a lot about it, but here are the guys that he has brought in since he has come to Texas. Timmy Allen, all-pack 12, first-team wing, 17 points per game last year against at Utah. Excuse me, Christian Bishop, double-figure scorer, Creighton Sweet 16 team, big guy down low, Creighton's first Sweet 16 in like 50 years. Christian Bishop was a starter there, comes to Texas. Dylan Dissu, leading rebounder in the SEC, 15-9 at Vanderbilt, one of the few bright spots on Vanderbilt's entire basketball team, not only this year, but the last like 10 years, goes to Texas. Trey Mitchell, 18-8 at UMass, former top 100 recruit. Devin Askew, former five-star, fringe five-star, you want to call him a high four-star, whatever, guard, from Kentucky, ends up at Texas. That is just what they did in the portal. On top of that, two marquee returnees in the backcourt. Andrew Jones, really solid player for them last season. He, of course, was the player that has overcome so much in his career. Of course, many of you know the story, but he actually overcame cancer early in his career. Averaged 15 a game 
at Texas last year. And oh, by the way, the guy who shared the backcourt with him, Matt, Matt Coleman, he's gone. But Courtney Ramey averaged 12 per game. So on top of the now six transfers, you have a 14-point-per-game score, Andrew Jones, who's back. You have uh, Courtney Ramey, a 12-point-per-game score back. You have a role player from last year's Big 12. I didn't even mention the part that the Big that Texas won the Big 12 last year. So you now have three marquee players returning with six marquee transfers and a five-star uh, a five-star wing named Jalen Tyson. But the one thing this team was missing before Saturday was a true point guard, the guy that could set everybody else up, get everybody else involved, and make this a complete team. And that is exactly what Marcus Carr brings to the table. Now, look, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that he's a perfect player because if he was a perfect player, he would be in the NBA right now. But by college point guard, creator, facilitator uh, standards, he's about as good as it could possibly get. 19 points per game at Minnesota last year four rebounds four and a half assists all big 10 second team but more importantly all you need to know about how good Marcus Carr is is to know who was interested in him interested in him when he entered the portal in the first place for most of this entire portal cycle you could argue and I don't even think it's really a, a strong debate that Marcus Carr was probably the best player in the portal from about the day the season ended until about two or three weeks ago when Kofi Coburn decided to enter the portal himself Marcus Carr, of course, during that time, tested the NBA draft process. It seemed like it was all but certain that he would not return to college basketball. But before he really made it known that he wanted to stay in the NBA, remember, Kentucky was hot after him, and a lot of people thought he was the guy that Kentucky was ultimately going to get for that point guard position. Kansas was after him. A bunch of other schools were after him. So that's all you need to know about how good that he is and how much potential that he has on a contending national title caliber team is that Kentucky wanted him, Kansas wanted him, and now he ends up at Texas. He is the missing piece. He was the one piece that this team absolutely needed. And let me just tell you this. I'll say what I just said five minutes ago to open this segment, which is very simply, Texas is a legitimate national championship contender. And I know some of you are going to push back, and I see on Twitter all the time, oh, it's Texas, you guys, you and the media always overrate Texas. This isn't Charlie Strong with football. This isn't Tom Herman with football. This is Chris Beard, who was a coach that had Texas Tech within a shot or two of winning a national championship. Texas Tech, now at Texas with his most talented team he's ever coached. Now, of course, there's questions. You bring in all these new players. Of course, there's questions where, you know, Chris Beard's right-hand man, the guy that uh, helped him have so much success, Mark Adams, is now the head coach at Texas uh, Tech and did not come with him at Texas. So there are questions. I get that. But all I am telling you is this, is that Chris Beard is one of the most indisputably successful coaches over the last four, five, six years, and now he has the single most talented roster that he has ever had, a team that really... The only teams that are like him are maybe Kentucky, maybe UCLA, maybe Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas, whatever. They're, they're, there's a select few that now, with what Chris Beard has done, they can play any style they want. They can play big, they can play small, they can play fast, they can play athletic, they can shoot, they can rebound, they can defend, they're deep, they're versatile, they can overcome an injury. There are so many different ways this team can play because, again, this is the single most 
talented team that Chris Beard has ever had. And I'll just tell you this. You can debate with me what you want about Texas this, Texas that. They are a legitimate national championship contender. I don't care what the history says. I don't care that they're not a blue blood like Kansas or Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina. I am just telling you they have one of the most respected head coaches in college basketball, and this is definitively the most talented team that he has ever had as Marcus Carr is the final piece of what should be a team that I believe will start preseason top five with real national championship potential in year one under Chris Beard. I'll say this in conclusion. I was not in favor of the one-time transfer rule, but man, has it pumped new life into college basketball as Kentucky's rejuvenated. Um, you know, Kansas is rejuvenated with Remy Martin. Texas is now rejuvenated. Michigan's added pieces. UCLA's added pieces. It is incredible what the transfer portal has done to college basketball. Obviously, there's other schools as well, Arkansas, uh, you know, LSU, Auburn, whatever. But the point I'm trying to make, this is Texas's best team in a long time. This is Chris Beard's best team, Marcus Carr, the missing piece. And I'm just telling you, you can argue with me if you want, but Texas is a national championship contender. And so, yeah, so, yeah, transfer portal season, it looks like it is just about officially done. I think Jaden Shackelford is essentially the only marquee player left in the portal. I wouldn't be surprised totally if he ends up back at Alabama. But I bring it up to say portal season is basically done. And listen, anyone who's a longtime listener of this show knows I will always talk college hoops. There will always be uh, a place for college hoops on this show. And I should mention, by the way, we're going to have a couple great guests from college hoops in the coming weeks. Rick Barnes will make a return to the show. Nate Oates will make a return to the show. Maybe Eric Musselman down the road. So we're going to still talk college hoops. Maybe I'll get my boy Mike Woodson. I don't know. But it is also time to start thinking about college football because SEC Media Day started today and it goes all week. It's going to be awesome. And this to me is really the launch of college football. So what I want to do, we're not going to put college basketball totally on the back burner, but what I want to do, take a quick break and look ahead to SEC Media Days. What may you have forgotten from last year with college football? And what do you need to know about the SEC going into this year? Because as I said, college football is coming fast. It is talking season, and the games will be here momentarily. I'm going to take a quick break, come back, and preview SEC Media Days. All right, everybody, I am back. Uh, it is good to be back. And, and, and look, we, we obviously opened the show with a lot of college hoops news, and it is a, a crazy offseason in college basketball. But as I told you before I left for vacation, once I came back, it's basically college football season. It's crazy. I saw a stat that we were now, as of this past Saturday, July 17th, we were now 49 days away from that first major Labor Day weekend of college football where we're going to get Clemson, Georgia, where we're going to get UCLA, LSU, where we're going to get Alabama, Miami. 49 days away as of last Saturday, which means we have six Saturdays left without college football in the mainstream, and of course only five Saturdays till that week zero opening weekend where we do get a handful of games. Not going to lie, the schedule is a little bit thin going into week zero. Uh, Nebraska, Illinois is the signature game there. Not sure how fired up any of you guys are for Nebraska, Illinois. Uh, don't know how excited I will be, but college football is essentially here. And what I always say is SEC Media Day to me really is the jumping off point to let the world know, hey, 
We are getting close with college football. SEC Media Day obviously begins today as I am recording here. Dan Mullen will speak. Ed Orgeron will speak. New South Carolina coach Shane Beamer will speak. And then the rest of the week gets rolling. And then from there, it's go time. Now, I know last week we sort of technically had Big 12 Media Day, but the bottom line is when we get SEC Media Day, that is when we know college football is here for good, and it is coming very soon in the future. What is the old saying? Winter is coming. College football season is coming, baby. And so what I want to do here over the next few minutes is I basically want to do two things at once. I want to look back on what you may have forgotten last season, okay? I know you guys are busy. You guys and girls are all busy. I appreciate what you guys do in supporting the show. It's not your job to remember every single little thing that happened last year, to remember Bo Nix from Auburn or Jeremy Pruitt, McDonald's bags uh, at Tennessee, but it's my job. And so what I want to do is kind of just remind you of everything that happened, but also then look ahead to basically the 10 biggest questions going into SEC Media Days, which of course also means the big, the 10 biggest questions going into the SEC football season. So let's start with 10 things that you may have forgotten. From there, we will get to 10 big questions going into Media Day. Quite, uh, one thing, The first thing that you may have forgotten, Alabama didn't just win the national championship. They were historically great last year. And I think it's easy to forget now, but take yourself and put yourself in the position of a year ago. At this time last year, we didn't even know if we were getting college football. We didn't know what it was going to look like. We didn't know how many games would be played. We didn't know if we could even play. And so when you look at Alabama, it wasn't just that they won a national championship, but remember what they did it against. They did it against a 10-game SEC regular season. There were no Citadels or Chattanoogas or East Carolinas on the schedule. And then after they went 10-0 in the SEC, they had to beat Florida in the SEC championship game. They had to beat Notre Dame. They had to beat Ohio State. And they basically dominated everybody. I mean, dominated Notre Dame in the playoff, dominated Ohio State in the playoff on their way to a national championship in what may have been Nick Saban's crowning achievement as a head coach. And I know that many of us just look at last year's national championship no different than all the other ones he's won. But when you talk about a 10-game regular season against SEC-only teams, an SEC championship game, Notre Dame, Ohio State in the playoff, I think you could argue it was Nick Saban's greatest season. Nick Saban himself even said that after the season. I believe his exact quote was, I don't know if this is the greatest individual collection of talent that I've ever been coached, that I've ever been part of, that I've ever had the chance to coach, but it might be the single greatest accomplishment that a team of mine has coached. Alabama wasn't just good last year. They weren't just great. They were historically awesome. Number two, I think this is easy to forget. A&M may have been the, sec- the fourth best team, excuse me, in college football. Remember, The college football playoff pairings are announced on that Sunday. Alabama plays Notre Dame in one bracket. Clemson plays Ohio State in the other bracket. But going into that college football selection Sunday, there was a big debate over Notre Dame versus A&M. A&M, of course, struggled early. They lost to Alabama uh, uh, week two, week three. They, they actually got destroyed, but from there got better every single week. And by the end of the year, they were 8-1. and one. They had basically beaten everybody not named Alabama, and it came down to them versus Notre Dame, which never forget, Notre Dame had just lost to Clemson in the ACC championship game. Yes, Notre Dame was part of the ACC. You probably forgot about that as well. And there was a huge debate over who should be number four. I still believe the committee got it right, but a and was awesome. This was the reason that they brought in Jimbo Fisher for a season like that. As I said, they destroyed North Carolina in the Orange Bowl. Great season, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but there is a lot of reason for excitement looking ahead for AM. Number three, 
LSU was really bad. And of course, they were going to take a step back. Remember, they, of course, won the national championship two years ago with Joe Burrow, uh, with all those great players, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. They lose 14 NFL draft picks last year, going into last season, had a bunch of guys opt out. Jamar Chase, who ended up being a top 10 pick, never played a game for LSU. But it started bad. They lose to Mississippi State in Mike Leach's debut, and it never really got better from there. They actually were 3-5 and five at one point. Uh, their defense was a disaster. Remember, they brought Bo Pelini in as their defensive coordinator. He did not last very long, which we'll get into in a minute. But their defense was terrible. They they go 3-5 and five. to the credit of Ed Orgeron, though. He rallied them late. They beat Florida, the famous game where the kid threw the shoe, which cost Florida some penalty yardage, allowed LSU to go ahead and win that game. They finished 5-5, five and five, win their last two games. They should be really interesting coming into this coming season, but LSU not very good last year. Speaking of Florida, number four, uh, Florida just a wild season for Florida. They start off, they are awesome. Okay, yes, they lost to A&M early, but overall, at one point, they were 8-1, and one, and we're talking about could Florida and Bama potentially both get into the playoff? Instead, they lose to LSU the final week of the regular season where, again, the kid throws the shoe. From there, they lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And then, to add insult to injury, they got destroyed by Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Also, just kind of a weird year off the field for Florida. Uh, you had the throw shoe, the, the shoe throwing incident, which I know isn't a technically an off-the-field thing, but you had Dan Mullen. Uh, you know, there was the, the big issue at Texas A&M where he was complaining that they were above capacity and he wanted the the, the swamp filled to capacity the next week and then he gets COVID and his team gets COVID and they have to shut down. There's the game where there's a brawl with Missouri. He shows up to the press conference dressed as Darth Vader because it's Halloween. Then he gets destroyed by Oklahoma and he claims, oh, the season was over after the SEC championship game. It doesn't matter. So weird year for Dan Mullen, weird year for Florida. On the one hand, you win the SEC East. On the other, it was a bad, bad, bad ending. Number five, uh, Georgia. Georgia kind of the opposite of Florida, where Georgia early on, they go to Stetson Bennett, if you remember him, kind of a former walk-on at quarterback. They start off really well. They, they destroy uh, Auburn early in the season in that rivalry game. They play really well against Tennessee, but then they lose to Alabama. Then they lose to Florida, and their season was kind of over. And then what was crazy was they actually got good right after that. They, they inserted JT Daniels, the former USC starting quarterback, in as their starting quarterback. Final three games of the regular season, 31 points, 45 points, 49 points. They beat Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl, and it has led to major expectations coming into this year. But... Georgia was terrible early, but not, I take that back. They were really good early. They struggled badly against the two best teams that they played in the regular season, but they were a completely different team when JT Daniels came in. They are going to be fascinating to watch this year. The number six thing that you may have forgotten, Ole Miss, really fun to watch year one under Lane Kiffin. Mississippi State, not so much under Mike Leach. So Ole Miss, first of all, just shout out Lane Kiffin, man, because, you know, this was one of those hires where, you know, it feels like maybe it's a bigger deal on paper. Maybe maybe people uh, are overhyping Lane Kiffin. 
And then he comes in from week one, and that offense is just humming. And it's not perfect, and he doesn't have all the answers, and they turn the ball over too much, and Matt Coral makes mistakes with the football. But you look at what they did last season. Uh, it was incredible how quickly they adjusted to what Lane Kiffin did and what Lane Kiffin wanted, and they did it basically without a spring practice. They beat Kentucky in week two, wild comeback win. Never forget, they gave Alabama probably more trouble than anyone during the regular season. They scored 48 against Bama. From there, they just have the crazy games where they're putting up 50 points here 50 points there uh they they win the the egg bowl they lose to lsu the final game of the regular season but they were just a darn entertaining team to watch i'm fascinated to see what they're going to look like in 2021 with that said mississippi state not so much as i said a minute ago it was also year one of the mike leach era started out with a bang thought mike leach was going to run through the sec like like a, a knife through hot butter destroys lsu in week one and that they were terrible. They lose to Arkansas in week two. How about this for a stat? I could not believe this when I saw it. They scored 30 total points in the month of October. They played four games, scored 30 total points, and struggled basically the rest of the season. They beat Vandy, whatever, doesn't really matter. Mississippi State was not good late. They are going to be fascinating to watch coming into 2021, 2022, or 2021, excuse me. I'm still in college hoops mode where the college hoops season starts in 2021 and goes to 2022. We're talking 2021 college football. Number seven, shout out Sam Pittman. I mean, listen, the pit boss, none of us had any expectations coming in. If you go back to the hiring process, Arkansas thought they were getting this guy. They thought they were getting that guy. Should we take this guy? How about him? It all falls through, and you end up with this famous O-line coach that has never been a head coach before, and nobody really knows what to expect. Uh, and then in week two, they beat Mississippi State. Then a couple weeks later, they beat Ole Miss. Then a couple weeks after that, they beat Tennessee, a team that had not won an SEC regular season game or an SEC game at all for two seasons before it is three and three at one point. Now, eventually they struggled down the stretch. They couldn't keep up, but they were in just about every game that they played throughout most of the season. Now, look, you play Bama, it's a little bit of a different deal, but they could have beat Auburn, could have beat LSU, could have beat Missouri, really played above expectations, just fast. Fascinated to see how they are this year, but shout out Sam Pittman because he had Arkansas playing better than anyone expected. Number eight, Tennessee. Back in the early days of my career, I started this phrase, it's always something with Tennessee. It's always something, right? When they're about to have, they're going to reach the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, uh, they drop the pot and it smashes into the ocean. Like, like everything, it's just, it's, it's a Tennessee thing. I don't get it, but they start 2-0 last year. I even on this podcast was bragging, oh, this is the best I've seen Tennessee in 10 years. Uh, yeah, not so much. They lose seven of their final eight games. And in the offseason, by the way, the only win they had was against Vandy. In the offseason, Jeremy Pruitt gets popped for major NCAA rules violations. As I said, there was a McDonald's bag full of cash. I don't remember all the details, but it wasn't pretty. I think about it now. I think it's kind of ironic now. If Jeremy Pruitt could have just waited another year to not get busted, I don't really think NCAA rules violations are going to exist going forward. But Tennessee fires Jeremy Pruitt in the middle of January. From there, they hire Josh Heupel, obviously the former uh, UCF head coach, Central Florida head coach, the former Central Florida AD, Danny White, comes aboard to lead Tennessee. But a wild year at Tennessee in what has been a wild decade and change for Tennessee. Number nine, uh, two other coaching changes outside of Jeremy Pruitt. Gus Malzahn out, 
Brian Harson in at Auburn, Will Muschamp out at South Carolina, Shane Beamer in in his place. Uh, with Gus Malzahn, look, it, it just felt like it had run its course. It was a weird year for them. There was a ton of games that even when they won, it was weird and they shouldn't have won and they were getting calls. There was the game against Arkansas where something weird happened. Kentucky, Kentucky, uh, you know, their running back crosses the goal line to score a touchdown and they say it was no touchdown and everyone's like, what does that even mean? It doesn't make sense. Oh, Miss, there was some weird stuff there. So even when Auburn was winning, it was ugly. Gus Malzahn was eventually let go. I came around on the Brian Harson hire. I'll be honest, I wasn't excited about it at first, but I do think he will bring a level of toughness and physicality to that team that they desperately need. South Carolina, I'm not going to lie, not totally sold. Shane Beamer, obviously Frank Beamer's son, is now in as the head coach at South Carolina. Uh, the rumor was, I don't know if it's true, this is just speculation, but I'm not the first person to say it, so I don't feel guilty saying it, was that when they fired Will Muschamp, one booster paid Will Muschamp's buyout, and he wanted Frank Beamer, and that was why Frank Beamer's the head coach. I don't know. I just know that South Carolina, I will be curious to see going forward. Finally, number 10, Kentucky, fascinating team. Because the talent is there across the board, but they just could not pass the football last year. They were third in the SEC in rushing, dead last in passing, and it just led to a bunch of games that they could have won, probably should have won, that they didn't. They lost to Auburn, as I said, first game of the season, a game they could have won, could have won at Missouri. Ole Miss, they actually blew a lead late. Scoring wasn't the problem in that one. And really, Kentucky was fine, but they had to upgrade the pass offense, and they did in the offseason, which brings us to this. Let's get into the 10 biggest questions now going into SEC Media Day. We just hit the 10 biggest things that you may have forgotten. As a reminder, Bama was historically awesome. A&M was maybe the fourth best team in the country. LSU was comically bad. Florida just completely melted down late. Uh, Georgia, good, bad, good again by the end of the year. Ole Miss was fun. Mississippi State, not so much. Uh, number seven was shout out Sam Pittman. Eight was how about Jeremy Pruitt in those McDonald's bags. Number nine was Gus Malzahn and Will Muschamp fired. And number 10 was Kentucky's passing game. Now let's get to the 10 biggest questions that I have going into SEC Media Day because these to me are what is fascinating about the SEC this year. The first one, it always starts with Bama, right? Alabama will go into the season again as a preseason favorite, but we've done this dance before, and it does feel like if you're going to catch Bama, this is a good year to do it. Now, I, I will say other people have caught Bama. LSU did it la uh, a few years ago, but for the most part, it's really hard to beat this Alabama team, but this feels like this might be the year. The offense is going through a major, I don't want to call it a rebuild, but it may be a reconstruction. Mac Jones, obviously first-round pick of the New England Patriots is gone. Najee Harris, first-round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers at running back, is gone. Devontae Smith wins a Heisman. Jalen Waddell, even though he didn't play a lot of those games, is gone. Both are top 10 picks themselves. But never forget, they also lost Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator. They also lost a bunch of guys off their offensive staff who followed Sark to the Big 12 and to Texas. And so now you have a new quarterback with Bryce Young with a new offensive coordinator. By the way, for those who have forgotten, Bill O'Brien, the former Houston Texans head coach, is now the offensive coordinator at Alabama. And so I'm just curious. Their defense should be really good amongst the best in the SEC, but if there's a year to catch Bama, it feels like this might be it. And we're going to find out right away. They play Miami in week one. 
of uh, the regular season on a neutral site. They also play Florida early in the season as well. I don't think Florida's going to be quite as good this year. Number two, this might be the year to catch Bama is one. Number two, I've said it all offseason. This has to be Georgia's year. And it's funny because I know Georgia fans and I even seen media members say like, you know, that's such an over cliche BS narrative that the national media brings up. No, it's not. No, it's not. You've been on the doorstep for years now. You make a a national championship game and you lose on the final play. Two years in a row, you finish fifth in a four-team college football playoff scenario. And here's the wild part. Go look at the composite rankings from 24-7 sports in terms of recruiting. Player for player on Georgia's roster, they have the most talented team in college football in terms of the recruiting rankings. It's not Ohio State. It's not Clemson. It's not Bama. It's Georgia. This has to be the year. And here's why. One, I mentioned it a minute ago. JT Daniels is awesome. Final three games where JT Daniels played, they scored 31, 45, and 49 points. Regular season games, not the bowl game. Regular season games. That's an incredible number of points for a Georgia team that historically has not scored a ton, you know, whenever. They don't, they don't, they're not a high-scoring team. 31, 45, 49 beat Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl. They bring back everybody on offense. JT Daniels, Zamir White, James Cook in the backfield. I know they did lose their leading receiver, George Pickens, but oh, by the way, you know how I know that uh, Kirby Smart thinks it's, this is a big season? Because he went off all in in the portal in the offseason, took two really high-risk, high-reward players. Darion Kendrick, a cornerback from Clemson, was a former All-ACC guy, got in trouble, got thrown off the team. He's at George. Eric Gilbert, we talked a ton about him last year. Never forget, this was the kid. Highest ranked tight end in the history of 24-7 sports recruiting rankings. And he leaves LSU last year, and he ends up at Georgia. Georgia's all in this year. Georgia fans can say they're not. Georgia media can say they're not. I'm telling you right now, I know that they're all in. This has to be the year. They have the schedule to do it. It's worth noting, which we're going to get into in literally 10 seconds. Um, uh, Excuse me. Florida is not as good as they have been in the past. Georgia does not play Alabama, LSU, A&M, or Ole Miss this regular season. You get Auburn early on the schedule with a new head coach. This has to be the year. And so I'm fascinated. I'm excited to see Georgia, to me, just absolutely fascinating. Number three biggest question. Can A&M figure out their quarterback situation? And if they do, are they, again, a college football playoff contender? So here's the crazy thing about A&M. I just told you a minute ago. They were, by any tangible measurement, the at worst, the fifth best team by the end of the year. Here's the crazy part. They returned just about everybody. They did lose their longtime starter, Kellen Mond, at quarterback, but they returned their leading rusher, Isaiah Spiller. And by the way, the Florida-Texas A&M game from, from last year was on SEC Network a few nights ago. I was watching it. Isaiah Spiller's a stud, and he ran over Florida. Jalen Widemeyer, one of the best tight ends in college football. Anaya Smith, one of the best wide receivers in college football. All those guys are back. They also returned nine starters off of one of the best defenses in college football last year. You could make an argument that AM has the best defense in college football this year. But Kellen Mond is out, and until they figure out the quarterback, it will be fascinating. The other thing worth noting with AM, schedule breaks very nicely for them. They play Alabama at home. They don't play Georgia. They don't play Florida. And then, oh, by the way, check this out. AM plays three true road games all year long. Three! 
three. Now they have two neutrals. They play Colorado in Colorado, but it's not in Boulder. And they play Arkansas and Dallas like they do every year. But three true road games. a and I'll tell you this. If you're looking for a pseudo long shot to make the playoffs, if you can bet that, I don't have a, a sports book I'm working with specifically right now, so I'm not going to say go to you know DraftKings.com, use promo code Torres. I'm not going to say that. But go to DraftKings, go to FanDuel, A&M as a, as a pseudo college football long shot, I think I like them a lot. Fourth biggest question that I have going into SEC Media Day. What is LSU ceiling? We just talked about how bad last year was, but remember, they win the final two games of the regular season, beat Florida as a 24-point favorite, beat, Flor- uh, beat Ole Miss to end the regular season, and then Ed Orgeron got to work. And to his credit, the one thing you can say about Ed Orgeron, he is never sitting still. If something is not working, he will make a change. He fires his his defensive coordinator, Bo Pelini. He also has a new offensive coordinator, two, uh, a co-coordinators, both of them from the Joe Brady tree. Joe Brady, of course, was the coordinator when they had a ton of success under uh, two years ago when they win the national championship. Shakes up the coordinator position. They bring a ton of people back. They have two capable quarterbacks in Miles Brennan and Max Jones. Johnson and to me just ultimately the biggest question with LSU is this was last year the outlier or is was was 2019 the outlier I like the coaching changes I like what Ed Orgeron has done it's also worth noting that defense was abysmal last year and I do just wonder did they take so many licks and so many hits that they just can't uh, you know kind of shake that off I'm just fascinated by LSU in so many different ways number five biggest question I'll try to wrap this up pretty quick Florida did Florida miss its window? Because I think it did. As I said, they lost their last three games of last year. Kyle Trask goes pro. Kyle Pitts, of course, top five pick to the Atlanta Falcons goes pro. Kadarius Toney, first round pick. Trevon Grimes, they're all out this year. Who, who, who are the guys? We know they've had Emory Jones at quarterback forever. What does it mean? What happens? I don't know. I'm just saying that it feels like Florida's window was last year. This is going to be a rebuilding year. It's worth noting Dan Mullen historically has not been a great recruiter. Now, they did well in the portal getting a few guys in, but Florida feels a little 8 uh, ish to me this year. All right, next up, Bo Nix. What's going on with Bo Nix? So I'll say this. This I don't claim to be an expert on everything. I don't claim that all my opinions are always 100% correct. But one thing, I remember this time last year going on to all the Auburn podcasts and radio shows, and what do you expect from Auburn? I said, well, it comes down to Bo Nix. If he's good, they'll be good. If he's not, they won't be. And Bo Nix was kind of not good. And I don't like to crush college kids, but facts are facts and spades are spades, and all of his numbers went down last year as a sophomore. So Auburn's success... Auburn's uh, potential in year one under Brian Harson really kind of falls down to what happens to Bo Nix, what becomes of Bo Nix. And so to me, fascinating at Auburn, what happens with Bo Nix? Is he the guy? If he's not, TJ Finley, the transfer from LSU, has come in. And Brian Harson, I know he doesn't want to piss off the Auburn fan base right away. I know Bo Nix is a legacy, but if Bo Nix ain't the answer, Brian Harson is not tied to him. Next up. What does your one of the Josh Heupel era look like at Tennessee? Again, Jeremy Pruitt fired, Josh Heupel in. One thing you can say about Josh Heupel, that guy has always put up points basically wherever he's gone, but it's worth noting that Tennessee also lost a ton in the transfer portal, especially on the defensive end of the, the football. Henry Toto, who I thought was one of the best linebackers I saw in college football last year, he went to Bama. Quavarius Couch is now at Michigan State, and, and they lost a bunch of guys off that team. Tennessee, I'm not going to lie, kind of feels like a team that might be able to score 40 on most nights, 
I also think they're going to give up 50. Fascinating to watch. Next up, the second-year head coaches. I, I, I'm just fascinated by all of them. Remember, last year, debut of Lane Kiffin, debut of Mike Leach, debut of Sam Pittman, debut of Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. What happens in year two? Kiffin, in my opinion, has the highest upside. He brings back his quarterback. He brings back most of his skill position talent on offense. But ultimately, the question is, can they get stops on defense? I don't know. Mississippi State is a total crapshoot. That is a game. When I start getting into my college football weekend picks, I will probably stay away from Mississippi State for two or three weeks to figure out what they are all about. But just fascinated by them. Sam Pittman at Arkansas. I'll say this. I like Arkansas's personnel. It's also worth noting they have maybe the toughest schedule in college football. They play Texas in the out-of-conference at home. Then they play A&M on a neutral at Georgia, at LSU, at Bama. How about that? Five, uh, you know, four top 10, top 12 type teams, three of them on the road at A&M or at Georgia, at LSU, at Bama, A&M on a neutral, Texas at home. Goal should be for Arkansas, get to six and six, get to a bowl game, which I think that they can do. Uh, next up, Kentucky, passing game. Boys, we got to get this figured out. So shout out to Mark, Mark Stoops. He knows this is probably the most talented roster that he has had at Kentucky. They just added the left tackle, Dare Rosenthal, from LSU. And this, this program continues to bring in talent. But they needed to upgrade the passing game. They could not do what they did last year or it was going, going to continue to be Struggle City. To his credit, go out, get a new offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, who came from the Los Angeles Rams, the Sean McVay coaching tree. Will Levis, the, the new quarterback, is from Penn State. State. Wandale Robinson, former Kentucky superstar high school player, transfers back from Nebraska as a wide receiver. And I'm just fascinated to see how this passing game looks because the SEC East right now, I'm telling you, is wide open. Uh, Vandy's going to be terrible, obviously. I haven't even talked about Vandy. That's how bad they are. By the way, I should have mentioned, I, I know there were other, I, I talked about the coaching hirings and firings. Obviously, uh, Vandy made a coaching change as well. But with all that said, the SEC East after Georgia, maybe Florida is wide open. Missouri has a lot of question marks. Tennessee is going to be bad. South Carolina is going to be awful. Vandy's going to be awful. Kentucky can finish third, maybe even second, but it all starts with the quarterback. And number 10, I just talked about some of the new coaches. Uh, you know, I, I trust Brian Harson. I don't know if your one is the answer. The big one to me, though, is Shane Beamer. It's like, you know, you got a guy that's never coached in, has never been a major college football head coach. Now he goes to South Carolina. It's a lot to ask for. I understand that he was there during the glory years under Steve Spurrier. I understand that he has the support of the former players, the the, the Alshon Jeffries and the Melvin Ingrams and guys like that. But that is a tough, tough, tough job. So again, my biggest questions as we get to Jamie Chadwell momentarily. Uh, is there any way Bama, you know, can Bama bounce back? You know, what do we get from them? Uh, Georgia, if this isn't their, their year, I don't know when it will be. Uh, A&M, fascinating to me. LSU, what is their ceiling? Did Georgia, did Florida miss its window? Will Bo Nix ever figure things out? What does the Josh Heupel era look like in year one? Uh, the second year head coaches, just fascinated by including Sam Pittman, uh, Sam Pittman, Lane Kiffin, Eli Drinkowitz, Mike Leach, Kentucky, the passing game, and finally, South Carolina. So yeah, SEC Media Day is today, um, and it's just, I'm so excited. Like I said, is that, you know, I spend so much time with college hoops, I love college hoops, but in my heart of hearts, I've always been a college football guy, always loved college football. I host the Fox Sports Radio Saturday recap show every Saturday at 11 p.m. Eastern, and I love college football. So fascinated to see how this all plays out and fascinated to see what comes of this season. And like I said, 
throughout the next few weeks as college basketball kind of the the news cycle winds down we're probably going to transition to some more football talk it'll be fun it'll be a great season and the season as I said five Saturdays without college football six Saturdays until that main college football weekend but with that said I do want to get to Jamie Chadwell and as I said to lead the show Really fun, really fascinating interview with Jamie Chadwell. If you remember, Jamie Chadwell, the head coach at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina last year was a fascinating story. Finished the regular season 11-0. Remember, they had that game late in the season against BYU, which may have been the game of the year in college football. Uh, and it was the crazy part about it, I talked to Coach Chadwell about it, it all came together basically overnight, okay? Uh, the, you know, there, there's the Coastal is scheduled to play Liberty, Coach by Hugh Freeze, friend of the Aaron Torres pod, and what ends up happening, Coastal Carolina, that game gets canceled because of Liberty has COVID, BYU has an open date, they both want to play, and so they put together the game on basically three days notice, they play on a Saturday, they, they basically get the opponent on Wednesday night, and it's just insanity. So really fun interview with Coastal Carolina coach Jamie Chadwell, and I think what he does more than anything, he takes you behind the scenes what it was like to be a head coach last year during COVID, and what it is like now now that things are finally getting back to normal before we get out of here i want to remind you i want to remind you i want to remind you please make sure that you are subscribed to the aaron torres podcast itunes the podcast addict app podbean spotify tune in radio wherever you listen to podcasts make sure that you are subscribed make sure to rate and review the show go ahead give us a quick five stars let us know what you like what you don't like all that good stuff Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. And I always tell you, but make sure to find the YouTube channel. Uh, you know, all the segments from this show go up there, and sometimes it's extra. Like this weekend, when Kofi Coburn committed to uh, recommitted to Illinois, that went up on the YouTube channel first before it even made on the podcast page. So make sure that you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. We're about to break 5,000 subscribers there, so I truly appreciate your support. But that is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Coming up, Jamie Chadwell, the head coach, Coastal Carolina Chanceliers. That's all for this segment. Shout out to Torrent Craig, who is going to be an NBA champion one way or the other here in the coming days. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I will be back Thursday. Another fun show. At least one really cool guest, potentially two. But let's get to Coastal Carolina coach, Jamie Chadwell. All right, joining me via Zoom, very excited about this guest. He is the head coach of the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. I, I can never say your, your, your nickname right, Coach Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina, 11-1 season last year, incredible year. First of all, did I already butcher something like 30 seconds into this thing? Chanticleers, right? Chanticleers. Yeah, you got it, you got it right. You got it right. So uh, that's awesome. We're off to a good start. All right. I practiced in the mirror this morning. And speaking of the mirror, my goodness, coach, for people who are watching this on YouTube, you got yourself a heck of a mullet growing in right now. Listen, all those fancy coaches you see on ESPN, you know, 11 and 1, 12, you go 11 and 1 and you have the best hair in college football. So <laughs> let us know a little bit what, what's going on there. Business in the front, party in the back. Uh, I need some details here. Well, uh, I probably should have had more faith in our team about uh, about week three or four. They said, hey, coach, we uh, we end up winning this sub-up championship where you go mullet with us. 
of course, I had no faith in them. I said, yeah, I'll do that easily. Sure. You know, not thinking that we were going to go on the run we did. And so uh, they, they've reminded me of it. So after the season, uh, I've, not, uh, I've not got it cut, and it's been growing for a while. So it's, uh, uh, I've been trying to get out of it the last month and a half. They won't let me. So it's, I, we're going to see how it looks, uh, obviously, here as we get into this next season. I mean, very important follow-up. You know, they say the team always comes first, but, you know, you leave that office, you got to come home to, uh, you know, a beautiful bride there. Well, what does she have to say about, about the latest trend in, in uh, the hair? Well, I've been on the couch ever since I started growing it, so I guess that I guess that tells you what, what she thinks about it right now. So uh, she's hoping that uh, we can get into something different next year or so uh, as this coming year so I can, I can get back to looking normal. So let me ask, you know, this is a good segue to how, how I kind of wanted to lead the show. You know, obviously, so last year you guys were, it goes without saying, one of the most incredible stories in college football. Um, but, you know, one thing that that you and your players kind of branded yourselves as was the, the fun program in college football. I mean, for people who remember that BYU game, it was mullets versus Mormons and all that kind of stuff. You know, is that something that you've always kind of had in your program? But more importantly, how important was it for last year specifically with just how crazy everything was, how serious everything was? Because I feel like when you can, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and laugh, you know, you can have a little fun at your own expense. I feel like that goes a long way in a locker room. Well, I agree with you. Uh, it's something that we've always tried to do uh, because, uh, you know, football's hard. It's a hard sport to play. It's a hard sport to prepare uh and we push we push we push but if you don't forget why you play it then you know you i think sometimes you lose you lose your team and so we've always tried to do that i think last year more than any it just took hold because of the pandemic uh because of not knowing if you're gonna play each week something you know everybody looking for something positive and then there's this little old you know team from uh you know conway south carolina close to myrtle beach uh, that, uh, you know, sort of takes the country by storm. And, and we do it uh, not really caring what people think about us and just saying, hey, you know what, we're going to have fun. We're going to be who we are. And, and typically you don't get that in, in, uh, in sports. Uh, and I think, I think we just struck a chord with a certain, with certain group of people. And, and, uh, and it was just something that people felt like they needed, not knowing that we're going to have sports and then we have it. And then you have this team that's having a lot of fun and doing it. And I think, I think it just grew from there. Let me ask you, how do you find that balance of, you know, you guys, anybody who watched you guys, listen, you don't win 11 games without being a, a tough physical football team. How do you find that balance of, you know, kind of goofy, kind of fun on the sidelines, but like when we buckle up those chin straps, it's time to go because like I said, anybody that watched your team, you guys ran the ball. You know, I don't, I don't mean to speculate on another team, but you know, BYU came in as a team that was really physical along the line of scrimmage. You guys really took care of business against them, frankly, took care of business against everybody. How do you find that balance between, okay, we're going to have fun. We're going to dance. We're going to shave our heads. We're going to do weird stuff. But when we, when we step on that, you know, once we cross that white line, I should say, like it's go time and, and let's lock in. Well, it's only considered fun when you're winning, right? And so that's <laughs> sure. that's what that's what I said. If you're not winning, people just think you're stupid, you know. So we, I, I, I tell the team straight up. I said, I said we can enjoy ourselves all we want, but if we the 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 fun is in winning, uh, and and so you have to go out and do what's necessary to to uh, you know try to win the game, obviously. And I think I try to I always make sure that they understand why we're doing it. Hey, we can have all the fun we we want to have, but if there's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, something to show for it, if there's not something to show for it, then, it, you know, nobody cares. And so uh, we want to make sure that everything we're doing is obviously to try to put our best product on the field. And then when we do 
go out and handle business and let's enjoy it. You know, let's enjoy the, the victories and, and enjoy the celebrations because uh, they are hard to come by, as you know. Yeah, I was going to say, even for your players, uh, you know, I know they couldn't really go out last year after a big win, but showing up at the big keg party, you don't look as cool with the mullet uh, after a 35-7 loss as opposed to 49 nothing win or something like that. So, you know, kind of a dumb question, kind of looking back, but kind of looking ahead. How different is it? I mean, the guys are back on campus. I know you can't really work with them just yet. They're with the weight staff and all that stuff. But how great is it just to have some semblance of normalcy? And I'm sure everything's not 100%. I'm sure there's still protocols in place, all that kind of stuff. But how nice is it for the guys that whatever you've been able, whatever communication you've been able to have with them, the weight staff, whomever, uh, you know, how nice has it been for them just to have some semblance of normalcy last year? You were able to make fun out of a less than fun situation last year. Now it does feel like things are really starting to get back to normal going into this 2021 season. Well, it's uh, one, it's nice, you know, it's because you. Uh, I mean, there's still things you have to follow, right? And I, and I think there's certain lessons you'll learn from what you did last year that you might take forward to continue to, you know, put your team and put yourselves in the in the best uh, possible way. But, uh, you know, I'll use it from a standpoint of just coaches. We were able to go on the road during June and actually recruit and do some of those things that I think you took for granted. Uh, now our families loved having us home. You know, they didn't like having us now we were gone in June. But it's nice to get back to some of that normalcy of what uh, your expectations are and your players know exactly what they can do and what they can't do. Because, you know, during that during that whole year, it was really, hey, can we do this? The CDC says we can do it, but can we do it? You know, all this going back and forth. And I think you got to give credit to all the teams that were able to figure it out and, and find a way to have a have a season uh, because uh, it was a challenge every week. It was a challenge, but uh, you know, looking forward, hopefully, uh, you know, the worst behind the worst is behind us. I know there's still challenges that that the country faces and things that we have to do to continue to keep everybody safe. But um, it's been about as normal as a summer that you can that you can ask for, and that's been great to see. Yeah, I don't think people and I, you know, I've talked about this, but, you know, talking to players that, you know, you can't hug mom and dad after a game or you do have that big win and you can't go out to just blow off some steam. So it does feel great to have back to normal. By the way, you mentioned uh, taking things. It was a less than ideal situation last year, but, you know, taking things out of it that may be useful going forward. Is there anything that you are implementing with your program, whether it's travel, whatever, uh, that you learned last year, you weren't planning on learning, but because of the pandemic, something clicked and, and you're going to take it with you? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. I think one with, with the travel and just being uh, more cautious in the way you maybe you serve your food and all these different things, sure. things that can, regardless if there's a pandemic, things that can help you with flu season and things can help you with spread in Germany, just basic things that you probably took for granted that your team got sick throughout the season, uh, you know, uh, normally without COVID and they got sick. Uh, I think things you can still do to try to limit, eliminate some of those other sicknesses that they, or illnesses they might normally get among each other. Uh, and then I think, too, from a standpoint of just from us, from a practice standpoint, you know, we didn't condition at all during uh, during our fall camp last year, which was unheard of. We've never done that before. Uh, but it did allow us because the reason why we didn't was because I was worried if a kid is he out of shape? Does he or is he is he is he hurt hurting because maybe he has COVID? You just don't know. So I was I was like worried, but I'm gonna touch it. Uh, and I and I think what it allowed us to do is we stayed healthier than we ever have. Interesting. And so you know, as a coach, you, you go, well, maybe was that because I didn't roam as much? You know, so you start thinking about some of those things. And hey, how can we implement that 
to where we're still in conditioning, but also they're fresh, you know, longer throughout the season. So there's some things that we've talked about as a staff. So, hey, let's, let's, let's continue to try to do this regardless of the pandemic uh, and see, you know, see what shakes down. So those are just a couple of things that we're working on. You know, you mentioned kind of, you know, hot start playing well late into the season. Last year, for people who might not remember all the details, but you beat Kansas early, frankly, dominate them. I was hosting radio while watching the game. It was a late kick. Um, you know, you play Louisiana. They're coming off a really historic win on, on their perspective early in the season. When did you get the sense like, okay, th this maybe you knew before the season, but when did you get the sense like th this has a chance to be something really special uh, as long as we stay locked in and obviously the injury stuff and all that? Well, um, I knew before the season we were going to be better than what, you know, the pundits thought. Like, I, we weren't very good the previous year, uh, and we had a lot of people back. And, and, and so I thought, hey, we're going to be better than what people think. I, I think the game for me truthfully said, all right, we're going to be fine, was actually the week after Louisiana. We played Georgia Southern, and our starting quarterback didn't play. You know, he gets hurt in Louisiana game, and he missed that game. Uh, and, and Georgia Southern's, uh, you know, a good opponent, a good, good program. And we were able to win that game with our backup quarterback. Uh, and, and I felt like, Hey, this team gets it. Like, Hey, we, we've got something here that no matter what situation is injuries, somebody hurt vice versa, that they still believe they can go out and make things happen. And I think that's the game that I realized, Hey, this guy, this team's about more than, more than just themselves, you know, and uh, it was uh, that's when I started. We're gonna have a special season. Kind of another dumb question in the same vein, but so for people who don't know, you know, Coastal, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, fourth year is a fully, you know, FBS team, Sunbelt, all that stuff. I, I know you were part of it the entire time. Obviously, there was another coach for a part of it who, who has since retired. What were the what were the building blocks? Because you've beaten Kansas twice. I know you said last year you didn't. You, last year coming into last year, you didn't feel like you had put your best foot forward. I guess it would have been in 2019, but but it feels like it's come together quick. I'm sure when you're living it every day, it certainly doesn't feel like that. But like, what were some of the building blocks? Because really, in the grand scheme of how quickly it's been done, it feels like it's been faster than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah, when you're living it, it's not fast. I can tell you that. It feels like it's felt like it's been forever because you know we started in 17 and we were, I think three and nine and 17, five and seven and 18, five and seven and 19. And then obviously had the good year, and and I don't know if you can look back on on one certain thing and say, hey, we figured it out. For me, the, the the biggest challenge was let alone making the jump and going to 85 and doing all that was. I think we were so good uh, in FCS. You know, our team was so good. We were top, you know, 10 arguably every year, number one in the country for a while. And to understand what it took to win at that level every week, at the FBS level every week, where maybe at FCS we didn't have to do that. That was the biggest challenge. And it was really just a mindset of getting them to understand that, hey, we can't roll the ball out and be better than the majority of people. We're, we got we got to roll the ball out and do everything right just to have a chance. And I think in 19, in 19, uh, we were five and seven and five of those losses were a total of 24 points. Wow. And so, and then out of those five losses, we had the ball to have a chance to go win. We had the ball with a chance to, or we had the defense out there with a chance to stop them to win the game. And we didn't do it. And that, that, that team started understanding, all right, for us to win these games, we got to do X, Y, Z. So our whole theme actually going into 2020 was 24. That was our theme. How were we going to overcome those 24 points? So I think it was those losses and them 
them finally understanding, hey, we've got to do X, Y, Z if we're going to turn those losses into wins. And that was that offseason really got us clicking and, and then obviously opening up the season with Kansas getting a big win. It just sort of went from there. I mentioned the, B, the BYU game a few times. For people who forget, that game came together in like three days. So uh, BYU was supposed to play Liberty. Unfortunately, they had a situation. Hugh Freeze is a buddy of mine. I, you know, I know how geeked up he was to play them. Doesn't happen. I know all this stuff is is above your pay grade, and as far as you know, you're just trying to prepare your football team. But but how does a game come together? Um, what was that week like? I mean, because we're all following in it as fans and the media. Like, is this thing going to happen? Could it happen? Is BYU really going to fly across? Like, and it was there, and it was awesome, and it was one of the games of the year. Uh, another thing, you know, what was it like to live through? Uh, you know, are you just kind of, uh, you know, checking your phone like we all are for any sort of update? I mean, how did it all come together? Well, we're, we're practicing Tuesday, and, and somebody mentioned it to me, a friend of mine. said, hey, y'all playing BYU just after, after <laughs> practice. And I was like, uh, oh, so we got Liberty, you know. And then oh, so we I'm practiced sorry. Wednesday night. You, you guys had Liberty. I'm sorry. Yeah. We practiced Wednesday night. We practiced Wednesday, and the same thing. Hey, are y'all playing BYU? I'm like, well, not that I'm aware of. So I called my AD and said, hey, are we playing somebody besides Liberty? And I guess there was rumors that they, you know, had COVID and all that. And he said, well – there, there might happen. You know, he tells me when he said, but we don't know for sure. And then Thursday morning, 9am, he calls and says, Hey, we're playing BYU. So, uh, I think, I think BYU might've had a, a, a little more understanding of it earlier on, obviously with ESPN being there, uh, you know, in the game day. So there was a lot more at stake than just the game. Uh, and so we found out hundred percent for sure Thursday at 9am. So what we did Wednesday night when I, when we heard the rumors, I was like, Hey, we better start looking at their video just in case. <laughs> so, so we had our we had our grad assistants and you know an analyst start looking at that just to get ready and then Thursday at nine a.m. we found out normally you know this on a Thursday you're mm-hmm. you're, you're basically got most of your stuff done yep you know and so you're you know you've got all your practice so we went out and actually had a walkthrough and introduced what we were going to do and then Friday we actually had a practice and said hey we're going to try to do these things and then. What was unique about it Saturday while, you know, game day's going on, we're up there watching it and we're still, we're still game planning hmm. to try to, because the game was at 530. So uh, it was surreal, obviously. Uh, and, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you, you can get ready for a game in a, in a, in a short amount of time. I would never recommend that short amount of time, but uh, I think both of us, both programs came out and, and played to our strengths yes. and also put on a great show. You know I mean? It was, a, as you said, one of the best games of the year. Uh, in a short amount of notice because all the notoriety on it and all the different things. And it was just, it was a great college football game to be a part of, regardless of whether you're a fan of us or not. And I had more people after that game send me emails or vice versa, just, hey, just what a great football game that I think a lot of people obviously watched and, and enjoyed. So this might not be as much of an issue if we get an expanded playoff, but is there anything to be taken away from maybe it is like a, a Sunbelt AAC thing where maybe it's not, the week of or two days before, but, you know, maybe two weeks before, Hey, you know, central Florida is in first place coastal. Like, is there any way, can, is there any way we can integrate week by week scheduling into college football? Cause I know it was probably miserable for you guys, but we had a blast following it and it gave us some, a great product and some great games at the last minute. And I feel like, again, hopefully in the future with an expanded playoff, it won't be as big of a deal, but it was obviously a great platform for you, for BYU, for, for group of five football, if we're still calling it that. And I'm just like, man, there's gotta be a way to integrate that somehow going forward, you know? 
Yeah, I, I think if the playoff does come to fruition, you know, you don't you won't need it as much, obviously. But, um, you know, you, you'd have to have, you, you know, you mentioned one of the conferences. You would have to have the, the conferences, the, the G5s or whatever we're called. You'd have to you'd have to get an agreement to where your where your open dates are sort of lined. And then you sure. have you have a week yeah. or two weeks towards the end where, hey, we, we got we got a chance for Coastal and somebody to be playing for, uh, you know, the the top group of five steam. Let's let's get this game on. Uh, to help print the schedule, vice versa. I, I think it's possible. I think it's feasible, uh, but you would have to have a commitment from a lot of people sure. uh, to to make it work. But I, I know I know basketball is different because you, the way you play games there different. It's different. But they've obviously done that with bracket busters and some of those things. So I, I think you can figure that out um, as long as there's a uh, you know workmanship among among the conference. Say hey, we're going to save this week and. We're going to play somebody in that conference, right? Our conference is going to play somebody in that conference. Every team will. And then yeah. we're going to put the best matchups. I think you could make that work, and that would be great. That would be great for college football, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously that's above my pay grade. Yeah, no, I know. When, when it happened, I was just like, there's got to be something. Like, this is really freaking cool, not only because you guys were so good, BYU was so good, but how it all came together last minute. Uh, so anyway, it was just a, a half-baked idea for me. But a couple quick ones, but I got to get you out of here. I know you got other stuff going on this afternoon. Um, you know, first of all, 12-team playoff. I, I can't imagine that there's a world where you're not in favor of it. For people who don't know, you finished 12th in the final playoff ranking. You know, you guys would have, you know, been in that conversation late in the year, potentially had the chance to go on the road to a Notre Dame-type situation uh, in a first round of a college football playoff. I mean – Probably the dumbest question I've asked since we started, but I, I have to imagine you're in fa you're in favor and uh, you know kind of crossing your fingers about an expanded playoff going forward. Yeah, I, I, I mean for for people at the G five level, I mean that that's a huge that's a huge deal. That gives us yes. an opportunity if we go out and handle our business, you, you get a chance to play for a national. You're in the dance, you know, and that's what makes the NCAA tournament so March Madness so great. Is is teams get in there and there's upsets. And so it gives a it gives a conferences like ourselves there a great opportunity if we have a team that goes out and plays really really well and handles their business that then they get a chance to go play for the, the ultimate title and and that gives you hope you know and, and hope's a special thing and so we're obviously all for it I'm sure I'm sure there's certain uh, conferences that aren't you know yeah. uh, just because of, of the way that's sort of written up right now but I do think it makes it. Uh, gives you a chance to have some diversity among the teams that be in there and gives you some matchups that, uh, that people would love to see. I mean, you mentioned how cool would it have been last year if Notre Dame and Coastal played. You know, it was mullets versus the Mormons, then it had been mullets versus the Catholics. We were right down every religious organization. Oh, yeah. And so, so I mean, that, that's a cool – that would never probably ever happen, but because of having that, if the playoff system was like that, you get some of those matchups and – and I'm sure they, you know, they'd be favored 99 out of 100. But you never know. What's that one time might be a special game, just like the, you know, just like the BYU game is a special game. Well, I'd have to imagine, you know, for somebody like yourself. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how often in your career, but but there were rumors about other jobs. And and you know, four or five years from now, you can say I can win it. That we can do at Coastal Carolina what a Gonzaga has done in basketball, a Villanova, whatever. I have to imagine for somebody, you know, you love your kids, you love your program. Uh, it would give you all that more, I, I, I'm not implying that you're on the way out, but you know, there, there is this understanding that you got to be in the big 10 ACC PAC 12 SEC, whatever. Now you can do it at coastal Carolina. You can do it at Louisiana. You could do it at BYU places like that. 
Yeah, I think that's an added benefit because what, you know, typically what happens, you get these these G5 teams that get really, really good, UCF, and then what happens, Scott Frost leaves, right? Mm -hmm. And then prior to that, it was, I can't remember who it was, but Cincinnati's doing well, and that coach, you know, there's and, and that's typically how it works, and, and they can't hold on to their coaches for resources or they want to go somewhere and win a championship now. Now, if you if you if you do truly care about football and your and your administration says, hey, we're going to invest into that, then you get you get the same opportunity, and, and arguably your opportunity might be better than some other schools and other conferences that have. Yes. A, I mean, to, to to get into the dance, and so uh, I think that is an added benefit of that, and I think what you'll see if this does go through, I think you will see more coaches that end up having success at that at the at the G five level. Where hey, you know, I, I got a I got a great thing going here. Let me continue to build this and, and still have the same opportunity that maybe some other schools would have it in other conferences. Fantastic. Last one, I'll let you go. Jamie Chadwell, head coach, Coastal Carolina. I mean, we talked a lot about last year. I mean, you got a ton of guys coming back this year. Obviously, there's there's new guys. Everything. How do you turn the page? I mean, how do you let the guys know, hey, that was really fun, game day, BYU, uh, all that stuff, but but this is a new group, a new team, a new 12 games on the schedule, and how do you feel about your guys going into this year? Well, I, I still like their leadership, obviously, because we got a lot a good group back, and they were, they were tremendous last year, and uh, I feel good that they'll get us going in the right direction. You know, the biggest challenge is you went from nobody knowing you, and we're circling everybody ourselves, to now where probably everybody's circling coastal. And there's there's a different psychology to that. Uh, and, the, and the main thing that we have to do is we can't focus on last year or focus on the noise around. we got to focus on what we did. You know, and, I, and we shared that with our team this whole offseason is what can we do to be better? It's about us. You know, it's about us being better than what we were. And not necessarily meaning I'd love to have a better record, but can we just do things better? Uh, and to try to make sure we keep the same mindset. I think your mindset's big. When, when you climb a mountain, sometimes you get atop that mountain, you look down, and that's the worst thing you can do, right? Because there's everybody else climbing yep. to get you. And so uh, we talked a lot about climbing the mountain, continue to climb, and, and, uh, and hopefully uh, we have the leadership in place that'll, that'll keep that mindset, which I think we do. Fantastic. Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina coach. This was a blast, man. I, I appreciate you doing this. I know we're about to ramp up. Season's about to be here. Thank you for the time. Best of luck. Uh, hair looks great. I hope to keep seeing it on the <laughs> sideline. We'll talk soon, all right? All right, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.